Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. The Left Wing Podcast is in association with Aldi Play Rugby, feeding the future of Irish rugby in over 1,200 primary schools nationwide. Ofewa, O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamped and scored! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined in studio, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. And just a quick reminder that Independent.ie have teamed up with Aldi to give away some sets of tickets to the Ireland versus France game. If you'd like to try to get your hand on a pair, simply go to www.independent.ie forward slash Ali dash six nations. Well, Luke, hello. How are you doing? That was excellent. Thank you. That it's was perfect. Excellent. We're recording this live, nice. as always. So, I, you know, I didn't need it. Flawless. A flawless a first flawless time, take. first time yeah. round as well. well there should nice be no surprise done. there. There should be no surprise. No, there, there isn't at this stage. You're a consummate professional. Thank you. You keeping well? Uh, good, William. Good. And yourself? I'm, I'm very good. Thanks. Excellent. Excited about tonight's guest. We're going to be having Bernard Jackman in studio. Very actually. We always learn something. Well, I always do. I don't know about you, uh, Will. Uh, no, I'm okay. not. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> no, but I always learn something from. Him. I always think he's really. He's a. He's a kind of pragmatic guy. Um, you know, he. He's a deep thinker on the game, thinks about it a lot, as you would expect from a, from a head coach. Um, had a tough enough journey, I think, with the Dragons. Uh, I'd say it'd be interesting to get his views on that. And, and um, you know, the state of Welsh rugby is obviously, that's uh, very topical at the moment. So excited to have him on. Uh, I always enjoy listening to him. He was a, he's been on before and uh, he gave us some great insights into France, particularly. So. Two desserts. Oh, three desserts. I'm bringing the president. <laughs> bringing the president, yeah. exactly. They just seem to be ringing the president all the time. Yeah, well, obviously he was trying to make some fairly, fairly big changes. Um, dessert was where they drew the line. Obviously, <laughs> it's funny when I uh, when you told me that Bernard was coming on, I, I it reminded me that there's isn't there a ten year reunion for your Leinster Heineken Cup team this year? That you obviously you both be a part of that. Yeah, there is. There is. Is there um, anyone you're looking forward to seeing on that that you haven't seen in a long time? Um, it's a big, yeah, eclectic kinda, bunch of players there. I've seen a few of those guys throughout. No, like, like, look, I look forward to seeing them all. It'd be nice to catch up as a group. Stan actually. Wright. Uh, Stan Wright's a guy who I haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have been that close to Stan. Lovely guy. So I'm looking forward to catching up with all those guys. Well, there's, uh, it's funny. Like most of the teams I've been successful in, uh, or been lucky enough to be a part of, um, who've been successful. 
um, they're usually a nice group of guys or a nice group of people. You know, I'm sure it's the same uh, in here when you're working on a good project um, as, as we do. We've got people around us. Um, and it's kind of a key thing. I always think to be successful, you have to have good people. And that was a great group. So I'm looking forward to meeting them. What, what are the chances that we get either Rocky Alston or Michael Checker to come on the podcast? <laughs> Don't know. Not sure. Uh, can always ask the question, Will. Yeah. Uh, all they can do is say no. Um, yeah, look, it'd be great to have a, f- a few of them back. You know, we've... Uh, it will be interesting to hear about them and some of the challenges. I mean, I think this, if you look at this World Rugby League that they're talking about, um, I think a big focus will probably have been Australia in terms of trying to, you know, generate interest there, generate uh, some kind of revenues in the game there. It's, Do you think you know, it's a good idea, that league? Uh, I think there's a few challenges with it. I don't think it's the finished article. Uh, far from it. I like the idea, Will. I think it's a good idea. Um Look, I think from up here in the Northern Hemisphere, our, our competition is, is very strong. Uh, I mean, obviously, the revenues were talked about last night. Um, not as good as the first offer. Obviously, they rejected the NatWest offer, I think, if that was correct last night. Uh, maybe that was just a rumour it was then. But there was talk of $14 million and it was reduced to eight because they didn't accept the fourteen. So, look, revenues, I think, st- the, the interest is definitely here. Like, you're never going to see an empty stadium here, which you possibly could see for... Um, a South African game or an Australian game or an Argentinian game um, so the, the game it doesn't feel like we need to change too much here but I feel like if you're not adapting you're probably on the way to dying um, and I think I, I like the idea basically I think you know you get more of the top teams playing each other more often you get to see you'd probably play you'd see New Zealand a bit more often you'd see Australia a bit more often up here you'd see South Africa and well, in some ways the schedule wouldn't be hugely different to what it is now in that you'd like you play three yeah. three games in the summer I'll be in instead of a three test series you'd be jumping from country to country which could be slightly problematic if you have to go from like South Africa to USA to New mm. Zealand and then in November you'd play the other three teams the yeah. problem I guess would be if you make the final there's an additional two weeks so that could be five test matches in a row which you know is is unsustainable really uh, yeah but I don't again as I said I don't think that's the I don't think it's the finished article by any means you know I think the leak is definitely unhelpful um, I'm sure they were still ironing out a few things like there's no way they can leave out the Pacific Islands uh, that would be a disgrace um, you know Georgia as well are a team who I think there's big potential there um, and they're pretty close to Italy I think uh, and they've caused lots of teams trouble so there's more thinking to be done on this uh, I wouldn't be rubbishing the idea completely um, because I think it's very it's very rough at this point in time I think there was maybe a little bit of surprise when it was leaked I think there was a sense that maybe it's further on down the road than it actually is um, like there'll be buy-in there'll have, to, there'll have to be buy-in from a lot but of when the all the players when all the big players like you have Johnny Sexton mm. Kieran Reid a few other big names Owen Farrell maybe all coming out negatively against it it's kind of puts it under a lot of pressure already Like, but they made a lot of good points like the club game um, yeah, like, is that going to suffer over two like, weeks where, where are they, what's going to happen to the club game? Uh, yeah like well that's a big thing they have to decide on how they protect that because that like you know that's what gets buy-in from supporters week in week out like you're not talking about you know, millions of people viewing those games, but there's going to be thousands of people viewing those games regularly. People bringing their kids to the games because they're a little bit cheaper than internationals. Um, so you need to, you know, make sure you're engaging all the stakeholders in this and making sure that the, whatever decision you make, that everyone's had input. Um, look, at the end of the day, someone's going to have to make a decision and it's very difficult to keep all the parties happy. Um, I, I like the unity from the players' union. I thought that was good to see. Uh, but is it a bit kind of... Is it a bit early to be making those kind of statements? Uh, look, let's wait and see. Uh, my sense of it is uh, it probably was early to come out as strongly uh, against the competition without really having a sit-down and a really good look at uh, the finished product or the, or the proposed finished article. Um, 
so yeah, look, let's see how it all pans out. I'm, I think it'll be an exciting competition, Will. That's my view on it. Yeah, well, there's certainly potential on paper, I guess, just ironing out those kinks, Pacific mm. Islands, the schedule, is just a few things they need to work on. And the club game. Yeah. They're very important that they, they, they manage that. Because, mm. look, at the end of the day, if we are trying to make the game stronger in South Africa and, 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 and Australia particularly, who are... They're, they're in a bit of trouble at the moment, you know, financially in South Africa, they can't really compete. Uh, they're having to, you know, shoulder a lot of the burden in the rugby championship financially. Um, I think they're getting kind of decimated with having their players, you know, there's 300 professional players, I think, playing professional rugby in uh, Europe alone um, that, have, that are, you know, have traced their origins to South Africa. So, um, you know, we need them to be strong. We need all these countries to have their best teams out all the time because that's the best product. That's what gets people engaged. That's when you see our superstars. That's when all the kids are getting involved and wanting to play rugby. And that's the future of the game. Um, so I think there's no harm in, in having a rethink or, or at least thinking about uh, the, the product as it is. Well, this is one of the many topics I'm looking forward to getting into tonight. Delighted to welcome Bernard Jackman into the studio. Bernard, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for the offer. And there's a lot of places I want to go to, which I want to start off, I guess, with something you said in your Sunday Independent column. You were poo-pooing, you were guffawing at the prospect of a few drinks, maybe bonding the Irish team again. When James Ryan has since come out and said that there were a few drinks no, after Rome. No, so I'm de- Listen, Luke knows me. I'm definitely not anti a few drinks. I think it certainly it's, isn't. It's, it's, <laughs> a good part, it's a good part of... Uh, the exclamation point at the end, I felt, was unnecessary, though, in really hammering home your disdain. That's the, uh, the editing. Um, I, I just thought it, it was basically, I think it's a poor reflection on punditry if you're a pundit and you're paid to give your opinion or you're asked to give your opinion and just throw in the generalism or they need to go on the piss. I think obviously it's a small part or a, or a part of the overall environment. So I, I, I just felt it was better to actually try and analyze <laughs> other things rather than just say the solution is get pissed. Because if that was the solution, you know, every team would be doing that when they hit a little bit of a, of a bump in the road. But I don't disagree that it's important that they enjoy themselves. And I think they, I think every team in the Six Nations um, year on year would use that week where they don't have a match to do something socially, you know. So it wasn't because the lads aren't happy with their team. Like that's an opportunity. You don't pay this weekend to go and have a few, have a few beers and spend some time together. So Luke Bernard taking aim at lazy pundits like yourself who threw that theory out yeah, last week. I was thinking uh, the, <laughs> it felt like uh, the, the laser beam was focused. <laughs> no, uh, look, I, I think uh, it's a good point. Uh, like most, more often than not, they do something on that week. You know, you'll do a, f- a fairly serious training week for maybe three of the days, maybe four of the days. And you will do some social stuff um, to help you relax. I do think that it did serve a purpose for them. I think it was probably a good time for them to do it all the same. Um, so I would stand over that. I thought that was a good time for them to be mingling and to be, um, I suppose, enjoying each other's company. I kind of felt like it looked like they weren't really enjoying it. Like Regardless of all the pressure and how much you want to deliver, that, that goes without saying in an Irish jersey or in any international jersey as far as I'm concerned. I think what I felt was... Um, you know, it was a good fo- good time for them to do that. I felt like they'd maybe lost sight of that, that you need to enjoy it. I think you play your best rugby and you're relaxed. And they're trying to deliver a fairly complex game plan that Joe Schmidt wants them to, you know, to deliver on. Um, and you need to be calm and collected to do that. You need to be cohesive to do that. And I felt like they were slightly missing a few of those things. Well, so that's why I thought it, felt, it, it served a purpose. A, a few things you said there that are interesting, talking about enjoy, the enjoyment that you want to see them enjoying it and how you want, need to be calm and collected to deliver this complex game plan because Johnny Sexton has been under the microscope this week. Tony Ward had a good piece in today's Indo about, I guess, his body language and his kind of knacky and aggressive style, which has always been lauded, I guess, as making him the player he is. And I saw you kind of defending it in that piece as yeah. well. But there is people kind of questioning, is, is it going slightly over the top? Like, since that Munster game on Stevens Day, 
where he did have a bit of a blow up, even by his own standards in terms of how aggressive he was and how niggly he was with the opposition. Has he maybe gone a bit overboard? Listen, he's not your stereotypical ten, you know. Um, neither was Felipe Contaponi to a certain extent in terms of trying to be the enforcer, trying to lay down the law uh, physically. But I wouldn't. I think that was obviously an extreme example. I think he's just shown he's just been Johnny. Like he's the same guy as he was when he was eighteen. You know. So if we laud him for being a driver, for being a leader, for taking responsibility, you know, in in massive games, you know, last minute against France last year, crossfield kick, then the drop goal. You can't expect him then to be a, a kitten, you know, the rest of the time. If that's not his makeup, you know. So he's 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 an outlier. You know, there's not many tens in the world like him who are so expressive. You know, when he's in good humor, bad humor, it's very visual. But that's the way he is. So I think again, you know, if you if you you're a hypocrite if you actually talk about him and say he's world player of the year, what a what a guy, what a leader. And then you know when things are going well and he in kicks a kicks a water bottle or whatever, that you criticise him. It's just I I think that that's him. It's not he's been authentic to himself. I take your point on the hypo, maybe being a bit hypocritical. Yeah. But if, has he been more bad humour? Has he been more ill tempered of late since that game over Christmas? It, it feels like. He could have, he could maybe be a bit more than he usually is because obviously to a point it's really, you know, it, it drives him on to be the success that he is. But maybe has in recent weeks has he kind of gone over into a new? I don't know. I think maybe it's a, it's a like it's definitely probably a little bit more than usual. I think um, I would say it's probably down to frustration. I think there was probably a lot of positivity uh, going into the championship, and I felt like they, the group felt um, that this was a real opportunity for them to get that second Grand Slam in a row and I'd say they haven't performed to their potential and I'd say there's a certain level of disappointment there but I, I've always felt with him that there's kind of a I, I agree with, with Bernard in that everyone's it's been lauded about him for a long time people love that about him they loved it as hard as on his sleeve I always felt that um, play, and, I, and I listen myself and I've, I've said this to Johnny before I felt like you know, just a little bit more control. Like I think, it, like there's, there seems to be like an acceptance that he can't change slightly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that about him. I think it's one of his best facets is that hunger, that desire, and he shows and he can inspire a group. And he's not afraid to take on ownership in big. You know that example that Bernard gave about the the drop goal against Francis. You're like, that's why he's great. The drop goal against Leicester yeah. in the final, uh, in of the as Heineken Cup. Like as a kid, like he's always had it. He he did it for St Mary as well. Always like that, but I just I'm uneasy about someone who's as smart as he is, um, and also as good as he is, and he's also a leader, a leader in the team that he's he's unable to maybe slightly change it. I wouldn't be changing it, but I would say, just can can you take it in slightly? You know, okay, is it helping you at the moment? Do you think? What do you think? The de- dealing with referees, for instance, is an area that he yeah could... he's got to find. I think the referees are ignoring him a little bit now to a certain extent because. You know, I think Eddie Jones planted a seed in the referee's head. You know, Sexton's got a telephone line to the referees. The referees are probably conscious of Johnny shouting at him for late tackles. Um, so it has to be very blatant. I think he's going to have to learn how to manage that. But I think the sample size you're talking about in terms of minutes is tiny since that Munster game. Obviously, he probably, you know, he lost the head a little bit against Munster. But then he was, didn't play till England. He's behind a beaten pack, beaten up and down the field um, against England. I'd say when he reviewed that game, he would have been a little bit frustrated that maybe... He played a little bit, overplayed a little bit the ball he had in his own half. There was certainly space in the backfield, but it's always easier post game. Then he plays against Scotland. He's late tackled three times. He goes off injured after 20 minutes. And then Italy, you know. So it's a very small, it's a long time since the 28th of December or whatever. But in terms of what he's actually played, he hasn't played very much. And uh, he would have been frustrated, you know. The error, the error that, he, that he was given out of it was a pass to Stockdale. But 
there was elements in the game, you know, he, he kicked one short to Stockdale, he felt Stockdale should have kept it in, he didn't, then he did, kicked one, I think, not 10, you know, he's little errors in his own game that I think was probably eating up at him a little bit more and he just he just shows, and for sure, I, I, you know, I don't disagree with Luke, I think he will need to manage it a little bit better, but I, I think that you take the fire out of him, you know, you lose, why well, he's a little bit Definitely. different. <clears throat> Mm. There's lots of stuff I want to get to yeah. kind of in rugby in general, but just to touch on a few more hours. Yeah, just on that, I think my article, I wasn't really frustrated with Luke and, and the going to piss thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. I actually more, I was, <laughs> I was losing sleep over that. <laughs> no, because I actually do agree with you. I think it was perfect. But I was more annoyed with the lack of respect for Conor O'Shea, probably on the, you know, from uh, the lads of Virgin. You know, I thought, if you look back at the Italy game, Italy actually weren't too bad. You know, we weren't great, but Italy didn't um, didn't do nothing in the game. They were very good on transition. They're limited because of, of the resource they have. But I think, to, you know, Connor is doing the level best he can there. But we need to understand that every team has got different set of resources. You know, I'd say if you look at Wales at the moment, Warren Gatlin is overachieving given what's happening below, beneath him. You know, England have great resources. Ireland have great resources. France have unbelievable potential, but... It's not really the, the alignment between the clubs and the federation isn't where it needs to be. And Italy, you know, you're playing with a um, you know a bad hand there. You know, so I think Connor's doing the level best he can. They're getting better, but everyone else is, is getting better as well. So I think that was harsh. You know, to, to ridicule Italy for an actual fact putting the game up to us, I felt was over the top. You know, and I think that, uh, you know, I said in, in the article that, you know, we all became way better players the day we retired. And we all dropped balls. We've all thrown, well, I've certainly thrown way more not straight or over the top. Speak than, for yourself. That's Sean Cronin. <laughs> but we just need to remember that's difficult when, you're t- when things aren't, you're not in the zone. You know, no matter how hard you want it to happen, it just sometimes doesn't necessarily happen. Yeah, was, you brought up Sean Cronin there. I was going to yeah. get both of your opinions on it because it appears that he's going to be outside the squad for the last two weekends now. So he's paying the price for poor performance. Like, where do you weigh in on, I guess, how he's been used or, or his role in the Irish squad and also Rory Best there as well? He's getting on an age. Like, how do you, you know, weigh in on all that? I think it's unbelievably harsh if he gets dropped from being on the bench um, because he's probably the best bench player hooker in, in the world. And uh, I think. There's, you know, fair enough. I can understand why Joe wouldn't give him another chance. I thought, um, I thought it was a difficult day for him. Um, but also, I felt it was also harsh that, you know, he's playing, he's playing his first start in the Six Nations with two locks he's never played with before. You know, and I know that Rory and, and Devon Tone have a great relationship, and Rory's strong for Ireland is better than it is for Ulster. Um, so you need to take that into account. And I think that just because it didn't go well from the start doesn't mean that if we need him for 20 minutes against France or, or against Wales, that he's the most likely guy to come off the bench and actually make something happen. So I think that would be a, a sad... I'd be very disappointed for him. And I think it would hurt Ireland um, and it'll end this tournament and it could hurt us in the World Cup if he doesn't get, get back up to being at least second choice. Yeah, because if he, if he misses out in the last two weeks in the squad, it would raise questions about whether he'll even go to the World Cup, I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty surprising given that he's like going to be nominated. I think for is, is he is he up there for European Player of the Year? Um, his form has been brilliant for a very long time, and for his first start, as Bernard said, like it seemed like he was nearly set up to fail. And I like I I haven't I haven't I haven't sent the guy that many texts in uh, you know since I retired. You know, bar meeting him every now and then. Um, but I sent him a, re- a good luck one. I just thought I was. I just felt so nervous for him. Um, it was. I felt like it was his big chance. It was like a do or die. And it's turned. It, if he doesn't get picked this weekend, I just think it's it's such a poor. It, it just reflects on something deeper than just pure selection to me. Um, 
I, I think it looks like there's some kind of relationship thing there between himself and Joe. Um, it, it just because because Scannell came on and he, you know he he struggled as well you know so I, I just don't get the like I don't get what the barometer is because as far as I can see if if you're looking at them and if you're comparing those two guys for that number two slot okay Rory's your captain I get that it's a difficult he's a difficult guy to drop but versus Scannell like their perform their their performances provincially don't stack up either for that so that's the body of work you're comparing because neither of them have played enough rugby so I just don't get it I think it stinks of something else. Um, and I'm really, I'd be really, really disappointed. Same as, same as Bernard, you know. Um, to be honest. So yes, home, he has whatever caps he has off the bench. Like obviously, so for the last seven or eight years, there's been no real argument that he's the best bench hooker in Ireland. And, and some of us were saying we felt he he deserved a crack at being a starting hooker. Um, and then you know a start actually ends up if if uh, getting a start, you know I don't see how that can actually uh, change his position from being the best start uh, sub hooker to being outside the squad. I think you've got to be loyal to him there and say, well, for sure, he's definitely the best impact. I mean, what's unless Ireland are absolutely worried about our set piece so much, you know, that we're thinking about going to the World Cup with Rory, Scannell and Herring, um, you know, that. but you, the three of them are the same. You know, it's the same profile of player, whereas Cronin is a little bit different. One thing I'd ask you from, from you know, your coaching yeah. background is obviously in an article over the weekend, Brendan Fanning alluded that there was a, a disciplinary issue at some stage over the summer involving Sean Cronin. Like, how much do you, do you as a coach, take that into account when you're picking players? Like, is, would that, is that a big bearing for you? I, I don't know what, what if there was an issue, but it, listen, I think you've got to be man enough to, to deal with that issue at the time. You know, and if you decide to persevere and, and carry on, then then you got to park it. Um, you know, if there's something happened last week, it'd be different. But I think if that's gone back to then, he's been picked for Ireland since, and his form has been outstanding. Well, then um, I think you got to leave the dis- like. There's very few players who haven't had disciplinary issue at some stage in their career. Um, I think you know it's got to be dealt with and, and and put to bed, and then move on. Hmm. And just while we have you here, I, I know we might come back to Ireland stuff again towards the end, but I just want to get your opinion on the situation in Wales because, as, as you mentioned, like Warren Gatlin's probably overachieving in the Six Nations given that behind the scenes, certainly with the regions, there's all sorts of upheaval going on. Just talk of an Osprey Scarlet's merger. Just before we started here, the Ospreys have come out and said, that's not happening on our watch. Uh, you know, you obviously worked in that system. Like, well, what do you make of what's going uh, on at the moment? I think it's pretty scary um, for a lot of players, a lot of coaches. A lot of fans, you know the, you know there was, rugby hasn't painted itself in a um, in a great way in terms of governance or, or you know decision making or leadership over the last couple of weeks with the World League, you know being a major football I think, and obviously what's happened this week, like last week I don't know if you saw Alan Clark's interview before, Munster played Munster he was pretty much on the verge of crying before the game saying you know the region was going to be potentially closed down, an hour and a half after the match or sorry. An hour and a half later, post-game, he'd been given assurances everything was okay. Um, we saw the Ospreys be pretty poor against Connacht the weekend, but you know, there's no doubt that the, uh, the turmoil in the background has caused uh, you know, their focus to shift from, from playing to their livelihood. Um, there was a, wrong, a strong rumour and, and there was definitely a chance of the Ospreys and the Blues joining together. Um, and you know, there's no reason. Like geographically, there you know, there's an hour and ten minutes difference between them. The Ospreys have actually they've been the most successful Welsh region. Um, they all you know the Welsh squad that was named today, they've more Ospreys player, players players than anyone else. They've won trophies, um, and they actually had the hardest part of embracing regional rugby because they actually merged Swansea and Nice, who were you know massive massive rivals, and people said it could never never be done. And they they built a support base. You know they. 
they developed local players to become internationals and uh, to become Ospreys, Centurions, etc. And then they brought in some high-quality foreign players like Marty Halla, Fido Tia Tia, um, Justin, Justin Marshall, Marshall etc. And they were... They were a team who were respected throughout Europe. You know, they didn't win any Champions Cups, but they were that level team. And a uh, fantastic stadium, the huge work of the community, and for sure there's a funding shortfall. But, you know... The How do you reconcile that, though, Bert? Like, that's kind of the key issue, yeah. really, isn't it? Isn't that at the crux of no, the No, no, really? all, the re- all the wet reasons are, are on their knees. But the problem is, they actually need more money, not less. Like if we want to, if the, if the Welsh regions want to compete, we've seen Ireland move on, right? The four provinces are strong now. Um, you know, it's a good chance for them being in the European Cup next year. The two uh, Scottish regions or districts have got their act together. You know, they're properly funded, uh, good coaches, good good players, and strength and depth. You know, they can win in, in Six Nations or November windows. Um, the problem in, in in Wales, to a certain extent, is the Ospreys because they they produce so many players for Wales, and they don't have the finance then to to have the backup. You know, they're going to struggle now to, to make the Challenge Cup. But I just think that, you know, it's easy merge teams, but it's, it's very difficult to um, to go back. And, um, you know, you had a team here who, okay, didn't they never washed their faces, but they were they were always, um, they weren't far from washing their face financially, and they were legitimate contenders for Pro 12s and, you know, potentially Europe. Um, the Scarlets have done a great job, in fairness. You know, the Scarlets have the biggest budget, the best Welsh team um, and you know the, the Blues have had financial issues the Dragons have had you know f- underfunding the reality is that we need to, I think for I think for the Pro 14 point of view uh, they need to find a way of funding those four teams like the chat at the moment is and I don't know if this is true or not is that they're going to go two super district regions so the Blues and the, the Swansea or the Ospreys slash Scarlet's merger which isn't really a, a merger it's, it's basically the Ospreys being put out of business and, and the best players joining the, the, the Scarlet's and then a team up in North Wales you know from a Pro 14 point of view uh, it's hardly like there's already debate about the, the value of the Zebra there's already debate about the value of the Dragons there's already debate about the value of the Kings you know is two development teams in Wales going to make the league better and also then for us from a purely Irish point of view um, how's that going to help us produce and develop winning teams and produce winning players so I think there's a there's an argument to be had from from the Pro 14 from the Irish the Scots the Italians and the the South Africans to say hang on you know what's going on here look we we want well funded competitive teams who are focused on winning rather than just development and where will, where will the money come from? Like outside well, it, investment? Or what are we looking at Listen, they, they, they're very lucky that they have the Principality Stadium, which is a phenomenal um, stadium, um, which is very attractive for non-sporting events. And uh, I think, you know, the, 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 by all accounts, the, the loan on that's nearly paid off. You know, you might have to remortgage that. Um, but at least you've got an asset that can produce, uh, produce money. And uh, listen, the, the regions are... They're, they're all run on a shoestring to a certain extent compared to their competitors. So um, a little bit extra money wouldn't uh, isn't a huge amount in the in the overall scheme of things. Listen, there's no easy solution, but they they're trying to take private benefactors out, which I understand um, because they feel that they don't have the control. Um, but they also need to find ways of um, of replacing that money, you know, from probably central funds. Is there a buy-in from the supporters? Because I, I don't know if social media isn't a good way of gauging these things, but it always feels like Welsh rugby fans are always giving out about the regions and yeah. they don't feel connected to uh, them. No, it's is, that, is that reality? Yeah, there is. Like they, it's, it was, we're very lucky. Ireland was, was divided in four, you know, and you knew where you are from at a young age. and So it's easy to identify with that. You have an identity. Uh, the Scarlets have been the best at probably 
um, at, at creating that identity because they were very much Clenetly and they're very isolated. It's West Wales. Um, so, you know, it's a rugby mad region and, you know, people bought into the Scarlets represented that region. The Ospreys did a huge amount of work in the community to try and, um, I suppose, galvanise and, and connect, I suppose, warring parties, you know, and some people, some people never follow the region. You know, there's people who follow Wales and a premiership club or Wales and a, and a district eight club, you know, and that's their Valleys club or whatever. And they, they never go to region rugby because they were never attracted enough. But also I would say that they never had a winning product to follow either, you know, until you've actually tried it. I think um, it's, it's very difficult, but like the, you know, the alternative was to have 12 professional clubs, which they thought about. And the start, you know, the start of, of the, of the Celtic league, you know, your teams like Carfilly, Ebbevale, et cetera, in it, try to be professional, but the, the population isn't big enough to actually run it. So it's, 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 it's difficult because, you know, um, there isn't that identity, but the only chance you have is having world-class players, winning teams, um, in a, with a with well well-supported environment in the background, to produce these players for for the national side. Everything going towards the top. At the moment, you know, Warren Warren, Warren runs a very tight show um, with the national team. They've got you know brilliant facilities, very good coaches. So when the players go from the regional rugby into that, it's like it's going from three star to five star. Mm-hmm. You know, but you just that's not ideal either. You'd like to have four star underneath, you know, in terms of medical backup analysis, S and C, etc. And that's what gets cut when you when you take the money out. Interesting. Yeah, like it's a, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like I I I agree. Actually, I think the, it's 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 the product. It's the winning product. I think that that's always been you know slightly missing. I think if you look at the scars, there is potential there. I mean, you saw what the bit of success they had over the last couple of years. That like they were getting people into the stadium consistently. They yeah. got big, or consistently they got big numbers over for the final, um, against Munster and Leinster as well. So like yeah. they have. Like there is potential there. Like Wales, Welsh people are rugby mad. You know, it's just interesting. Like, I, I, like I wonder would they be better off going to three? I think four. They, they have the playing numbers to go to to four. But if you're talking about a winning product, you nearly say, well, how can we really fund this properly? Like, how can we get all our top guys back here playing? How can we get buy-in from the communities? Like, I think yeah, you maybe sprinkle one or two foreign guys in, but you want your superstars all playing there. Like you look at Ireland, like all our most of our best guys are. are are playing for their home province. Yeah. And that's where you get people coming up from an hour and a half away, um, you know, in Wexford, in Carlow, wherever they are, they're coming to the matches for like a Friday night or a Saturday. Or a Saturday. Like the Ospreys won four leagues. They've won more leagues than any other team, you know, that compete in the league. So mm. But they're in, I, I think they, that like, might not be the best yeah, example. In, in that, 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 that thing, yeah. the, 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 there is a serious rivalry yeah. between Neath and, his, Swansea, and yeah. Swansea. Like that's a, there's a serious rivalry there. So like whilst they've done lots of good work and they've had a bit of success and they had the superstars, they were getting numbers in for big games when there was a big travelling team coming as well. But um, I think that was a difficult one. I was always going to be a difficult one to settle them in. So look, it's there, I think there are no easy solutions here, but they do need to change something. I think that's definitely like uh, like for me looking at it from the outside. You look at empty stadiums. You look at the quality of the Welsh team. The amount of quality players they have. They need, something needs to change. They need to do something to help, to get to get a winning product again, as, as Bernard said. And just one quick reminder that Independent.ie have teamed up with Ali to give away some sets of tickets to the Ireland versus France game this weekend. If you'd like to try to get your hands on a pair, simply go to www.independent.ie forward slash Ali dash Six Nations. Bernard, are you going to come in there? No, I just think it's it's yeah, it's not easy, but I think it's like at the moment the World League. <clears throat> it's probably been driven by the the need to try and save 
Southern Hemisphere rugby. You know, financially they're, they're really struggling, and also I suppose from from a Celtic Nations point of view, Six Nations um, teams and, and the Pro 14 teams. You know, we need Welsh rugby to be strong. You know, if they slip back, um, it's not going to help the Pro 14 as a product. It's not going to help us eventually. You, you know, it's great fun beating, the, winning every week easily, but the reality is we want to have a, a really competitive, vibrant league and um, Wales have a huge role to play in that. So it's not a case of, um, I think, you know, even though we can't obviously help them uh, today, or today, they've got to sort out themselves, but I think it's really important for us that they are, you know, that they get themselves with the right structures in place and they can continue to be a, a force, you know, international level and below. Well, we actually probably covered this all day, but I just want to move on to a couple of other topics while I have you here. And I want to ask both of you about Warren Gatlin's comments. He was asked to compare Irish players, English players and Welsh players. And he said that the Irish players in his experience would challenge you more as a coach, would ask more about the game plan. And he, he put it, some of it down to the private school background that a lot of them come from, that maybe they're more they're brought up to be more challenging of authority figures. He said the Welsh players are more doers and he pointed to their, a lot of their back, how the country has a big background in military service and that they're really good at following orders and they wouldn't question as much and the English players, I think he said, had like an innate kind of cockiness or confidence. I don't know if, if any of that's ringing true for either of you in your experience. I think Irish people are always great at that. Like we've spent 800 years trying to get get those lads out of here. Do you know what I mean? So like there is, a, I think that's built into you uh, to be questioning things, to be saying, not that I don't think that's right or why am I doing this? I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it was like, you look at Joe Schmidt, I think he's probably the perfect coach for that kind of mentality as well. Interesting to hear him say that. Like he, he's a neutral guy, you know, coming from New Zealand and he's coaching all the, you know, obviously unbelievable job in Wasps as well. So I'd say he's good experience of that and it's interesting to hear him say those yeah, kind of things. Yeah, I've spoken about it. Mm. Like he, he he said it to me in a in a conversation that that's his impression of the three countries he's played. And I definitely think my experience of uh, I I actually played in Sale as well, so I have a bit of all three. Um, I would I would agree with him. I think the Irish players want to understand why, you know. Uh, whereas I think the Welsh players, if you put a game plan up on a on a PowerPoint, you know, they just want they just follow that then um, and don't really need to understand the why, which is. Which is unusual, but they like that simplicity. Um, they do train very hard. If you, if you, you know, if you create the environment for them, and that's what he's built a success on that, having unbelievable focus on on fitness. You know, they've got a defensive system. You know, from Sean Edwards, which is very simple. You know, it's very aggressive, but very simple. That boys don't have to really ask many questions. There's not actually not there's not many decision make decisions to be made in it, bar the guys on the outside, and you know they just get a lot of reps making those decisions. So. Um, he he he's very he thinks the the key to the Welsh team is obviously fitness, simplicity, and you know having a real good team spirit and a real good bit of fun and some characters and you know he really f- tries to make sure that every team he picks has a has a mix of of characters and and um, shows why he's a great coach, doesn't it? Yeah, I simple, think like people. he understands people, like yeah. he understands the people he's coaching and what really makes them tick. Like I th- I, th- I th- a lot of it's fascinating. Visual. A lot of it's visual. A lot of it's not like so people so. Um, there's a lot of fellas in the Welsh squad that he's had he's had very little one-to-one conversations with, and like I remember Justin Tipperick or Dan Lady, uh, one of them came out and said like who've been in the Welsh squads for seven or eight years said, you know Warren has only said maybe two or three things to them, which you would say oh he's not a good communicator, but I think, I think what he does a lot is he watches, and he makes a decision based on what he sees. So so whereas other people think oh I got to get him into the room, I got to grill him for forty minutes to find out what he's like, <laughs> what what gets him going, whereas he just actually, he seems to have a knack of. Um, of being able to, I suppose, uh, guess the vibe of a group and change things around to get the vibe 
where he wanted to go. I think he he seems like like I just I had a few bits w- yeah. with him as well on the on, on the Lions tour, and I thought he was. It's such a, it's it's a great point you make. I think he is a deep thinker. I really believe yeah. that. I think he he'll sit back, sizing people up. I think he's brilliant at it. But I think if you look at any of the ways, like you look at, I, he's one. Of the, I know for a fact he's one of the only coaches that really gets under Joe Schmidt's skin. I know for <laughs> a fact, I, and there's no way he hasn't recognised that. He, and what, like, how does that manifest itself? I, I well, I think Joe like he. It's the one game that he really wants to win every year is the Welsh one. I guarantee. I'm sure Eddie Jones probably has a similar enough probably has built that built that up but that Warren Gatland thing has been going on for a while and I just know for whatever reason whether he wants to prove himself against him or there's some kind of you know the little battle between themselves like a battle within the battle is the two coaches and he just he, watching the media there'll be something he'll pick on and I guarantee Joe will be obsessed with it for the week like he'll, he watches like he watches and reads everything in the news Joe Schmidt honestly he doesn't miss one thing and I guarantee I think Gatlin knows that, and I think he plants in a few <laughs> little ideas to drive him mad. Honestly, I, I, they're both amazing coaches, um, very like kind of different styles. Joe's, ex- you know, he's explaining everything to everyone, and he's really good at it. Like uh, it, what Paul O'Connell said, like he's so uh, articulate, you know, and he can make a, a really complex message very simple at times. Like he's so skillful at that. Um, but it's a real great battle to watch the two kind of mentalities and the, the two different types of players and how well both work with both coaches. The funny thing is that this last Six Nations game, will whoever wins this will have the better head-to-head record against the other. Oh yeah, that's that's a, that's a lot like that, that that fact will not be lost on Joe Schmidt. I can guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, well, just everyone, uh, the public and a lot of the media thought that there was a real edge to Warren and Eddie Jones, uh, but actually, in fact, they become very close, and uh, they just. This is pantomime stuff, you know, what they say post and pre-match, uh, but they're actually, they've become quite close. I know that the pre, the pre or the, the launch of the Six Nations this year, they had a, you know, a nice meal out and a few drinks and, um, you know, Wales have trained against England. So they've actually become quite, quite close and, and enjoy that bit of banter and um, skullduggery in the, in the media and playing it out. But uh, they're, they're, listen, I think the three records of Eddie Jones' win record, Warren Gatton's win record and Joe Schmidt's win record in the in the Six Nations is around 71%, 72%, 70%. Like, there's very little between the three of them, really, in terms of the amount of wins they've had. Obviously, Warren's been there you know, 10 years, so he's had the, the longest stint, but... And just we were talking about how Gatlin did a character study of each kind of country's players. He didn't mention France. He doesn't have much experience there. You do. If you yeah. were to kind of draw this as a little <laughs> sketch of the average French difficult. player. <laughs> That's a difficult I'm question. looking forward to this one. <laughs> they probably have a, you know, 33% of each. You know what I mean? Uh, um, there is guys who want to know why. I think, I think the big thing is uh, it depends on what mood they're in, you know, and whether they actually bothered to ask questions or... or Get the probe. president on speed, though, maybe. Yeah, yeah, no, well, it depends if they want to go to you or they want to go to the president or um, yeah it's mad I think, the big, I think the big thing for France France had the crisis that they normally have in a World Cup they had it post England and I think if you look at the way the French team uh, prepare now so historically that, that weekend off in the Six Nations so France played England on a Sunday night I'm sorry Sunday afternoon they came back to their training centre Monday and they stayed together till Wednesday. So they actually had a proper chance to do a post-mortem. Traditionally, what happens is they go from Twickenham to Toulouse, to Montpellier, Toulon. They only go back to camp on a Sunday night. And then... It's all forgotten. It's all forgotten about, and they're in match mode. So they don't actually solve anything. So, um, and probably as well, you know, uh, some of them, they don't have, they don't all have the same two-week prep going into the Welsh game as round one as, as everyone else had. So, and they probably didn't use it properly. I think, listen, the, the reality is that um, 
there's a massive disconnect between the French clubs and the, and the, and the national team. So an example would be Mathieu Bassero goes into French camp uh, on, a, on a Sunday night before the first round of Six Nations and the fitness coaches have no idea what he does weekly, Very little, daily. Probably. Yeah, probably a bad example, but <laughs> what he does weekly, daily in, in Toulon. Okay, so by all accounts, the feed. What I heard was after the first two weeks, they obviously very good first half against Wales, terrible second half, a shocking performance against England away from home. The post mortem, and what happened was the players tried to test, I suppose, how strong Brunel was. So there was leaks into the media, like Van Lima saying that he didn't know if he was captain. That's only going to yeah. cause uh, pressure on a coach. The the leak from a, a, a back then the second half against England there was an injury and in the huddle they were asking each other what position they were playing that's only going to put pressure on a coach right <laughs> um, so the crazy, fact that though. they said the fact that Morgan Paris said they were surprised England kicked a lot uh, and the coaches didn't tell him England kicked a lot is only going to put pressure <laughs> on a coach right so well, go, it's, no, no, I'm sorry no, no, but the, they should be unbelievable no, 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 so my argument my, my, my thoughts on this was yeah for sure but if you got Morgan Parra, Louis Piccamoles, uh, Guardo, uh, uh, Johan Uge, these fellas have been around a while, right? They are they're the equivalents of of your um, Sexton, Murray, Sexton Murray, et cetera, Murray, right? Yeah. They have an onus on themselves to basically look at England against Ireland and say, lads, we actually haven't covered any of the stuff that's actually important this week. We need to have an extra session or we need to have a blackboard session. We need to talk about that. But they will let this, they let this slide, right? To try and, I think... To potentially put pressure, put pressure on Brunel. Now, Laporte's come out and backed Brunel, right? So, the, the, the debrief and, and the post-mortem they had was that they wanted the team earlier in the week because apparently Brunel didn't give it to them until Thursday, so they wasted Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> <laughs> not knowing who was playing. Possibles uh, possible and problems. Problems. <laughs> um, The intensity of training was like apparently captain's run, which is very light session, Monday to Friday, because they didn't want to injure anybody. So, they got together and they actually said, look at... We're capable of training harder. We're training harder in our clubs. So they upped the intensity and they actually came up with a, a bit of a game plan. And what you saw against Scotland was, um, and it, it's easier against Scotland than probably against England, but they actually looked well organised, and particularly around their kicking game. And uh, they've got two halfbacks who, who probably aren't uh, scarred by being dropped 15, 16 times like everyone else has, <laughs> and uh, have no fear and are talented players. And they've got re-picked for the second time in a row, which is incredible. So I think France could potentially, and I said, sorry, I said, they usually have that post-mortem during the World Cup or during a World Cup prep because they're together for ages. But I think for us, the danger is that they've actually had us mid-Six Nations, whereas generally you don't get a chance to, it just kind of flies by. It's funny, you mentioned obviously the, the, the role of the club president in France is so big because like Bernard Laporte seems to be serving that role with the national team. Like he's, He has so much influence there, even he, more so than, say, Philip Brown doesn't go to, to, to Joe Schmidt's oh, sessions. A, and you There's know, a rumour in France that, that he picks a team. Yeah. And the reason the team wasn't told to the players till late in the week was that he hadn't given it to the coach yet. So that's the that's a rumor. I mean, but um, there's definitely an element I think that he has a, has a say over over selection, or has an influence over selection. So it's a very different role. But he was a former French coach, mm. probably one of the most successful French mm. coaches of all time. Has won four Six Nations titles, yeah. three Heineken Cups, so, yeah, so, two top four teams. Yeah, he's not your typical. Mm. Uh, administrator, administrator yeah, yeah, and uh, he does a shadow to be cast behind you, though, isn't it? Like, yeah. uh, if you're Brunel, um, I'm sure he's well able to, to cope with it, but it's a it's just a tricky scenario over there. Like, I, I tell you, the most worrying thing, um, is that they've picked the same team, 
you know, that's yeah, they have talent. From, from, an Irish, they have talent. from an Irish perspective. If yeah. they get any kind of continuity in key positions, um, they could be a force. Mm. There's so much potential there. And we need France to be strong. Um, just not this weekend, from an Irish perspective. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. Like, I hope they get their act together. Like, they're, like We all grew up on watching incredible French rugby, great French tries, beating the All Blacks, all, you know, in amazing fashion in key games. Um you know, it'd be a complete shame if they don't get their act together. But it sounds like that might have been the wake-up call, hopefully, against England. If it wasn't, they're in deeper trouble yeah. than than I thought. Um, but, like, they do have to catch up on some of the professionalism stuff. They just can't. It can't be, like... It was in Paul O'Connell a few weeks ago was saying that, like, you look at the French soccer team, like, they if they can do it, like, it's not a French thing. Like, they're well capable of having the most professional outfit of, of understanding and, you know, de- uh, delivering on a game plan of preparing properly um, because they have so many great athletes and great players. Yeah. It'd be a shame if they don't, wouldn't it, Bernard? Uh, it's true in other sports. I mean, uh, handball, which is professional in France and, and big in, in parts of Europe, like they're, they're world-class, you know, basketball, great basketball yeah, like yeah. athletics, you know, so mm. it's not just the soccer. They, they pretty much have, have uh, uh, I suppose, adapted a professional attitude and sometimes in some sports world leaders, you know, all the ski, you know, I know there's, there's a, it's high profile last week, the, the drug taking, but in Alpine ski, etc. you know, they're world, you know, they have a huge amount of world champions and um, they are capable of, it's not, you can't blame the culture. Now, the culture around rugby has always been a little bit more laissez-faire and mm. it'll be okay in a day, but, um, you know, that has to change. It has to change, yeah. Has to change. But it has to change by, they have to want to change. The I think they do. They have yeah. to get. They have to get tired yeah. of, of losing, you yeah. know. And they've got a World Cup coming up. Uh, like I would be very surprised if there's not a few big changes. Um, like the dialogue between the FFR and the clubs, it, it just it has to improve, you know. Um, there is. Uh, I'm part of a panel that's actually trying to trying to improve that. Uh, yeah, it's so, all the inside no, track. No, no, there is. There is definitely a, a change yeah. from the clubs and the union, and the league are driving. Actually, the league are trying to bring the clubs and the and the federation closer together so things are happening there now whether it's too many roadblocks but definitely there's there's a, an openness that wasn't there in the past but it, 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 like, that's great to hear because the club should be trying to, if they're giving away your, if you're giving away one of your prized assets for 11, 12 weeks of the year with November internationals and Six Nations whatever it may be right you want the guys coming back in in shape. You want to be able to get information. Say, well, that's what the, that's what that guy did for those weeks. I might need to rest him in a midweek game. I might need to rest him for training this week or whatever it is. I know they don't necessarily manage the loads well. I think that's an area they really have to improve as well. If I'm being honest, that's a key area. But that's that th- that line of communication between both. As you said, when they come into French camp, no one knows what anyone's done. What weights are they lifting? You know, how many? Tra- you know, are they having issues with their hamstring? Are they? You know, what kind of running meters are they generally doing? So we go, well, look, he's kind of hitting his normal running meters here. Let's let's tailor his training a bit more. Let's manage him. Those are key conversations for both parties because they're both stakeholders in this and th- they need to manage the assets as best they can for not just a player perspective, but for the game in France. No, yeah. it's going to happen and it needs to happen I mean uh, the problem like, so this is as recently as three weeks ago so uh, because they didn't know what everyone was doing their week their intensity of training for Wales and England was way lower than it would have been at club level so that's you've actually detrained in a massive week so you know it's just, it sounds very basic but it's just non, it's nonsense it can't happen anymore but also the issue it's not just the federation's fault sorry it's not just the, uh, uh, the club's fault I mean the federation weren't given the club's information when fellas when came back off summer tours or off a November series, they had no information. So it's like, well, they didn't tell me, I'm not telling them. Um, but we just need to clear that. But. 
just to change tack slightly, Bruno, maybe talk about your own journey. Obviously, yeah, you departed the Dragons during the season. Um, and I guess a lot of people don't really think about the coaches' lives. You know, they just see them on match days. And, you know, for a player, if you're not playing well and you're out of the team, you're still part of the, of the club. You're still part of the team. But I guess from a coaching perspective, if things don't go well, you, you could you could be out of the job. Like, what's that experience like, yeah, you know, for, for, yeah, for you? it's very tough. But I think you have to understand, um, you know, all you can do is do the level best you can with what you have um, and you know I, 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 we weren't able to get the wins that you know we probably needed the short term but there was a very much a, a longer term plan there which involved bringing through some young players um, and we have you know we've more players in the Welsh in the Welsh squad than we've ever had our Dragons have more players in the Welsh squad than they ever had and it meant or the plan was to recruit again this summer to, to make them successful but you know as a head coach that or as any coach and as a player you're you're always going to be scrutinised based on on results. So um, difficult, uh, difficult. I was very lucky. My family were in Dublin, um, so if I had have left the Dragons in in December, and kids were in school in Wales, you know, and then you got five months panic to try and work out what's next. Whereas the real, you know, the, the fortunate thing for us was when we came back from France, we wanted, I suppose, to put some roots in Dublin, get the kids into Irish schools, and. Um, you know, give us a, a, a base here. And then, uh, me being very selfish about my career then, to, for me to commute and, and, and chase that and, and I suppose leave my wife to look after uh, the family here. So, in, in hindsight, um, and it's unfortunate, but when things didn't work out, the actual uh, effect and disruption wasn't as bad as, as, as it could have been. It was just me packing my bags, you know, a little flat in Newport and uh, came home. And uh, that, that was fortunate, you know. And I think that's... The thing about coaching is I think you need to... If you're absolutely reliant on coaching for a living um, you're always going to be under massive stress and um, that can affect your ability to do the job I think uh, I'd like to hope that I can do other stuff if I need to I love coaching um, I'm massively passionate about it but I also don't feel that I need to do it um, to provide and that that's a nice thing for me I've seen coaches and I've worked with coaches who you know they're always stressed about the result and um, I think it's really important we all worry about the result That's that's a given but I think if you wake up on a Monday morning and, you, and you're thinking about whether Saturday's result could affect your livelihood and your ability to put bread on the table, it's very hard then to be good Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or create that environment for the players that there's not too much pressure on them. So that's that's my way of looking at it. I think that I, I, I like to, I don't think I'm stuck in being in that bracket, but it's the bracket I want to go down. But And, and um, it doesn't sound like there's any difference, but there is. Yeah, but do you have those thoughts then, you know, your time with Grenoble, your time with the Dragons, like when things aren't going well, is it hard to focus on the task at hand, the actual part of coaching the team when you have like the pressure of maybe losing your job? Um, I'm pretty lucky, I'm pretty resilient, I've had a lot of setbacks and uh, I've always managed to bounce bounce back a little bit higher. Um, so it doesn't really affect me, I think it affects my family and stuff and, and people around you and people worry about you, but um, I'm pretty thick-skinned. And what's been the biggest challenge um, for you as a coach, like what's, like if you were if you were critiquing yourself, um, like like what, where would you say that was the hardest thing for me to get good at, but it's the most important thing for me to continue to improve on. I think it's to try and always, I suppose, point out the best route forward. I think as a player, um, you can become very insular. You can just fix yourself, whereas you have to actually say, okay, look at. Um, for example, we, we ship six tries this weekend, right? Um, and it's very easy to go into critical mode and, and you know, really analytical and, yeah, that this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Whereas sometimes you've got to actually say, well, okay, hang on. 
what's best for the group here and then to to manage to convince your your support staff this this is the message that we need to portray this week and everybody on the same page you know what I mean so if the forward coach goes in and and he's unbelievably critical um but I'm I'm trying to portray a positive light or, or try and pick the positives out and, and refocus on the next task um, that's the biggest issue so you have to kind of you're always selling something you know what I mean you're always trying to convey a message and you've got to be really consistent in that but also you always got to go okay um, what's actually best for this group and that could depend on if you've got an experienced group if you've got a you know inexperienced group the, every group is very different and you also got to understand where they're coming from as well and and, the, and sometimes the, the lack of confidence or lack of belief or lack of ability some of them have you know and, and um, not over not make it, not make it over complicated or have high, too high of expectations but you always, then you obviously got to go okay well in three months time can we can we hopefully be able to do that but um, I would say the biggest thing is to is to try and um, be very clear on what the best route forward is and then be very strong and consistent in your communication. And will we see you back coaching anytime soon or yeah. are you going to take a, take a break, refresh? Well, I'm off to, I won't be, there's no job we come up to June, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this year I'm probably lucky that there's probably going to be two cycles of of coach changes, which is obviously terrible because someone has to move on. But um, hopefully if I replace somebody, he's moved on to something better or he wanted to move on to. Um, so June obviously will be one cycle. And then obviously because it's World Cup year, there's going to be another cycle probably post uh, post World Cup. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, we'll see what happens. And are you excited going in every day? I have to, like, I just, yeah. I think if you're going into and you're staying in rugby, um, I always wondered about those guys, yeah. about coming into coaching. Like, was it exciting going in every day? Like, I mean, oftentimes, as you say, there must have been challenges repackaging a message. You yeah. say you have to, you, you've got to get a message every week. You say, well, look, we went well this weekend. What 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 do I what do I take to keep the momentum going here? We didn't go good. Do I kill the lads? Do I go mm. soft and do we need an arm around the shoulder? Like does does that give does that? Yeah, does I, that like excite that. You? I enjoy that to be honest. I might might like so I, I probably preferred. I think it's the same for all coaches that when you start off you just focus on the technical mm. or the tactical, like it's you know trying to make players better individually. But then when you become generally, if you if you spend a few years in it, you become a different. You become more of a head coach. It's more about management and managing your staff and letting them. I suppose giving them the autonomy to actually coach the, the technique tactic, and you got to c- try and put it all together. Um, I enjoy that. You know, I enjoyed trying to find really good people to bring around me, um, in order to give the players a better environment. Um, and a lot of it comes down to money. You know, I think for me, if if you said to me, "Oh, what? Where do you want your next job to be? Somewhere I have good resources." Mm. Honestly, that's the like the best coaches generally have very good resources. Um, but the challenge is actually getting into one of those clubs who, who have those. But uh, I think that would be a lot easier. But it's, I, have, I wouldn't regress. The experience I got in Wales and the experience I got in France um, has been you know, really, really rewarding and, and rich. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting the next, next opportunity. Yeah, well, we, I think we've, like both times you've been on the show, uh, we've just really enjoyed listening to you. Um, you know, it's been great to get an insight because it's a big challenge moving into to a player group. Thanks a million for coming on. We Thank really you. appreciate it. We love hearing from you. So hopefully yeah. we get you on again before you get into a new role. No worries. Thanks, Thanks Bernard. Thank you. That's all we have time for on the left wing this week in association with Aldi. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another great podcast. And in the meantime, you could subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thank you for listening and goodbye. The Left Wing Podcast is in association with Aldi, official supermarket of the IRFU.